as we've been walking through the gospel of Mark together, I have just been blown away by Jesus. The more I study and the more I stare at the person and work of Jesus, I am amazed. Up to this point in the gospel of Mark, we have seen Jesus do the impossible. He has raised a little girl from the dead. He has cast out demons. He has healed the sick. He has calmed storms. He has walked on water. He has fed thousands of people with the little boy's lunch. And as we study the gospel of Mark together, I hope you will see that indeed Jesus is on the move. Not just in the gospel of Mark, but even today, right here and now, throughout our land and around the world, Jesus is on the move. And when you encounter Jesus, he changes everything about you. This week I came across a a quote that I thought, boy, this is spot on. This uh, explains Jesus so well. It was by Martin Bell. He says, to have experienced the Christ, to have encountered Jesus of Nazareth, to have run headlong into the person of God in the flesh must have been like stepping into the path of a hurricane. When you encounter Jesus, he changes everything. And when we see him in the gospel of Mark, we see him as the God who is on the move and he is impacting people for the glory of God. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. That's where we're we'll setting up camp this morning as a faith family. Now, for those who are gathered here and you have children with you, I am so tickled pink that they're here. For little kids watching online via live stream, I want to encourage you on a couple of things. Uh, if you are listening to the sermon, I want you kids to kind of lean in and draw a picture. In fact, last week, Evie Conte made me a picture and, uh, of the sermon and how she heard it. And so kids, I want to invite you to do that. Kids in here, you are welcome to draw pictures of what you hear from the text of Scripture. I also want to encourage you parents that if your kids are with you and they squirm, squeal, or make noise, I am okay with that. Honestly, it kind of is like competition for me. I like, comp- I like, I'm a competitive person and I'm like, oh, okay. So you're trying to draw attention away from the, okay, let's do this. So if they squirm, it's okay. All right. We're going to have fun. We're family. It's a family reunion. We're together in this. And so I'm grateful we have time to study the word together. So little, little kids and everyone else, let's lean into the word this morning. Now, faith family, when we read the Bible, God speaks. This is God's word. This is why so every Sunday I want us rallying around this book. Because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And in Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, the scripture says this. In those days, there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. 
he dismissed them. And he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanathea. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. (sighs) Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? 12, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said to him. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? They came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently at, and his eyesight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus is not only king of the Jews, he is also the savior of the world. Jesus came for all people and he opens the eyes of the humble and he rejects the arrogant and the self-righteous. Today, if you are humble, if you will humble yourself, if you will tremble at his word, ask the Lord right now to open the eyes of your heart heart so that you might see. This morning, I want you to see these four truths from the text. First, I want you to see Jesus's compassion and care for Gentiles. See, most of Jesus's ministry took place around the Sea of Galilee, investing in Jews. And then about halfway through chapter seven, as we saw last week, Jesus crosses the border of Israel and he heads northwest into the Gentile territory of Tyre and Sidon. Now his ministry is first for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles or people who are not Jewish. Now, so Jesus, he leaves Tyre in chapter seven, verse 31. Then he heads east of the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. Now remember the the 5,000 that Jesus had fed months earlier? These were Jews in Israel. But now these 4,000, verse one, Jesus is feeding here, these are Gentiles. We see in the text that Jesus came for both Jews and for Gentiles. Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel and the lost sheep of those outside of Israel. And while serving in the Decapolis, thousands of Gentiles gather around Jesus for three days, verse two. And for three days, he's been teaching. For three days, he's been pouring into these people. For three days, he's been investing in these people. And here they are, thousands of people, probably sleeping outside at night, but they're so captivated by Jesus. They are so spellbound by him, verse two, that they haven't even eaten. 
And yet Jesus was sensitive to the needs of, of the people. He was fully aware of their hunger and the long road trip home that was ahead of them. So he had, verse two, compassion on the crowd. Beloved, this morning, Jesus has compassion on you. He knows exactly what you are going through and he has compassion. He cares for you. You see, Jesus, as the good shepherd, is fully aware of what's happening with every sheep in his flock. Jesus knows what's happening in your life right now and he cares for you. And not only does he know that, he knows what's ahead. Just as Jesus knew that these thousands of people had a long road trip ahead of them in which they were gonna be hungry and could possibly pass out or faint on the way, Jesus knows what's ahead of you. He knows not only what's coming for you next month and the next five years and the next 50 years, he knows and yet he has compassion for you. He cares for you. So beloved, if you are in Christ, please know your Savior knows you, he cares for you, and he knows what you're going through, and he's going to be there with you all the way through it. He will provide for you through it all. It's amazing. What does Paul say in Philippians 4, 19? And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus could have just easily said the word and a banqueting table could have appeared for everyone to sit down and eat. But instead, Jesus invites the disciples and on the process. Now, remember, Jesus is training these 12 for ministry. He's preparing them for that day in which he ascends back up into heaven to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. In Acts chapter two, we see the Holy Spirit fall and now it's on the disciples, the apostles. It's now upon them to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus here is training them up. He is preparing them for what is to come in their ministries. He's teaching them how to problem solve. He's teaching them how to troubleshoot. Look at verse two. He said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. There's the problem. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way. And some of them have come a long distance. What is Jesus doing here? This is a teachable moment. He's teaching his disciples not to be self-reliant. He's teaching them not to be self-sufficient. The disciples can't multiply seven loaves of bread to feed thousands of people, but Jesus can. He is teaching them to be dependent upon him. And beloved, right now, as we study the scriptures, Jesus is teaching you through his word to be dependent upon him. Not to say, I got this. Not to be self-reliant or self-sufficient. Jesus is modeling right now for the disciples and for you that we are to be completely dependent upon him. He is the only way we get through this. So he asks them, how many loaves of bread do we have? And they reply, verse five, seven. They bring him the loaves. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread, distributes to the people. You see, Jesus is also teaching them here, bring me whatever you have. Bring me your little. Bring me what you got, and I will do what I do. Beloved, bring your all to Jesus big or small, and he will use it for his glory. 
Jesus took seven loaves of bread and multiplied it. Thousands of people are fed and they are, verse eight, satisfied because of what Jesus did with just a little. You may be thinking, what do I have to offer God? I'm not the smartest, I'm not the fastest, I'm not the strongest, I'm not the wealthiest. What do I have that I can give to God? Bring what you got. You come to him and say, Lord, here is all of my life, my time, my money, my strength, my resources. God, you can have all of me, including my heart. And when you do, watch and see what Jesus will do. He will multiply it and he will use it for his glory. You offer yourself to the Lord and say, God, here am I, send me, use me, I am yours. And look at what he can do. He can multiply it for thousands of people. Jesus is showing himself here. He is the bread of life. He is the true manna from heaven who satisfies those who trust in him. Isn't that amazing there? Verse eight they were all satisfied. It's kind of like Thanksgiving, you know, that, 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 that post-meal coma. That, oh man, that was so good. I got to get my stretchy pants out, right? You know, it's like, man, if your wife is pregnant, it's like, hey, can I borrow those stretchy pants? Like, oh, I, need, I need some relief here. That's where they are. And he did it with just a few loaves of fish, thousands of people. And they're satisfied. Beloved, that's what Jesus does with you. When you come before him and you say, God, would you feed me upon the word of God? May the bread of life satisfy my soul. Look and see what he will do is he will satisfy you. You are overwhelmed with his presence and his power in your life. That's what we see happening here. Jesus is displaying his power to satisfy those who come to him. Psalm 107 says that he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Beloved, Jesus will satisfy your thirst as the living water and he will satisfy your hunger with good things. That is what we see here in the text. Secondly, I want you to see the spiritual blindness of the religious leaders. After Jesus dismissed the crowd, he got into a boat with his disciples. They go to Dalmanathea. It's a Jewish town near Magdala on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. The Pharisees show up and they do what they do best. They argue, they debate, they are testing their mettle on Jesus. Well, Jesus refuses to play their game because all they want to do is talk about rules, religion, looking good on the outside but not having a heart that's close to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not interested in those who are interested in outward religion, but a heart that's far from me. He's not interested in that. But you see here, verse 11, they ask him to give him a sign from heaven to prove that he was truly God. That word for test there, it actually means to harass. These Pharisees, they were hostile towards Jesus. Even though Jesus has performed countless miracles, Jesus has proven that he is the son of God. They demand some sort of astronomical miracle. But Jesus has already given them enough proof and he refuses to acquiesce to their request. In fact, in Matthew's account of this, Jesus tells them, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. 
Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three nights and three days, so too will the Son of Man be put into the belly of the earth for three nights and three days. What is Jesus talking about? The sign that he is going to show these Pharisees that he truly is God is his victorious resurrection on the third day. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You put me on the cross. You see me die. I'm going to go into a tomb, but I'm just going to borrow it for three days. You want to see the power of God on display? Look at the empty tomb. Do you want to know if I'm God? Watch me rise from the dead. Beloved, if you are in Christ, this is our hope. The miracle of God that he displays his power is that he defeats death itself. And he has made a way for all who turn from sin and trust in him by faith that so too will we rise for those who are in Christ. Though you will one day be put in the grave, that is not your final resting place. You will rise and you will be with Christ forever. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. You can know without a doubt that you too will one day rise to be with Christ. You want to see a miracle, look at the empty tomb. But see, these Pharisees, they were spiritually blind. They couldn't see. They liked their rules. They liked the control that they had upon people. They liked their religion. They refused to submit to Jesus because they were spiritually blind. The apostle Paul talks about how Israel in the Old Testament was also blind. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, but their minds were blind. For even to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one trusts and turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He's saying, listen, they, they have Moses right there who's pointing to me, Jesus, and they've missed it. They're spiritually blind. In fact, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see. They're blind. They can't see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. They'd rather hold on to their religion. And here we sit in the South where everybody, most people, think that they're a Christian. I, I go to church sometimes. I've been baptized before. Listen, my grandmama went to church. She knew Jesus. See, if we're not careful, we can start pointing to the Pharisees and not realize that there are those around us who are trusting in their own righteousness, trusting in their own religious works, thinking that is what makes them right with God. What about you? Today, are you trusting in your good works to make you right before God? Do you think that your religious outward actions actually reveal that you are right before him? May I say to you, it's not. It's not enough. 
This is why you need Jesus. Jesus came so that you no longer trust in your religious works. You trust in him. He is your salvation. He is the one who will rescue your soul. You need Jesus. And that's what we see here in the text. Those who are religious, those who are trusting in themselves, they're blind. They can't see. And if you don't know Jesus today, turn from your religion, turn from your self-righteousness, turn from your good works and trust in the good works of Jesus. Trust in his cross and what he did for you. Trust in his victorious resurrection and he will save you when you call upon him. Thirdly, what we see here in the text, I want you to see Jesus' patient instruction of the disciples. See, Jesus and the disciples, they leave this encounter with the Pharisees. They get into the boat. They head to the other side. They've just been zigzagging all across northern Israel. Jesus says, verse 15, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Leaven is an ingredient that you would put into bread to make the bread rise. And so whenever leaven is put into the dough, it can't come out. It's, it's there permanently. And so here, Jesus is warning the disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. What's he talking about? Leaven is a reference to sin, to unbelief. He's warning them, beware, watch out. Have you ever seen a sign that says, beware of dog? You'll see it on a fence, and I'm not sure about you, but I like to peer over the fence to see who I'm messing with, Right? And so you, you, you kind of just look over and see how big of a boy are you. How much more should we heed the sign when God says, beware, watch out, be careful. Jesus here is warning his disciples of the danger of sin, the danger of unbelief that we see in Herod, that we see in the, in, in, um, the Pharisees. He is warning them of what could take place. But while on the way, the disciples are wondering who forgot the team lunchbox. They realize they only have one loaf of bread. They're thinking with their stomachs. Andrew's like, Peter, I, I thought you had the sack lunches. And, and, and Peter's like, no, 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 I had the tents. Andrew, what have you been doing? Thaddeus is like, oh my goodness, I forgot to stop by Publix and get the leftovers. What are, we, what are we doing here? What are we going to do? And Jesus is so patient. He's in the boat with his disciples. He's trying to teach them the spiritual truth of the danger of sin and the danger of unbelief. And the disciples are just thinking with their stomachs. Be careful of God trying to speak with you and you're thinking about lunch. I know what you think about on Sunday mornings, planning out your grocery lists. Be careful. Notice what Jesus does here. He asks them a series of rhetorical questions to get to their heart. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you not understand? Do you have hard hearts? Do you have eyes but don't see and ears but you don't hear? Do you not remember when I broke five loaves and fed the 5,000? How much did we have left over? I love like the one word response. As a parent, you've heard this before. 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets did we have left over? Seven. You still don't get it. 
you guys are worried about bread because you're, you don't realize you're sitting in the boat who fed thousands with just a few loaves of bread. Do you not realize who I am? Do you not realize I'm the one who multiplies food to feed thousands? Jesus is pointing them to himself. Says, guys, do you not get it? I can provide food for you. I'm the savior of the world. I got it. I can do this. Do you guys not realize I'm up to something bigger though? You're thinking first with your stomachs. You're not realizing who you are with. And beloved, you and I, we are in danger of thinking of what we need and we not realize who we are with. You know, we're also in danger of forgetting how God has been faithful in the past. Jesus is reminding them, guys, have you forgotten already? Remember how I fed the 4,000? Do you remember how I fed the 5,000? Do you not remember? Isn't it interesting? Remembering is a spiritual discipline. It is important for your perseverance in the gospel to remember God's faithfulness in the past. That's why we see throughout scripture, God tells us people, remember, 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 because people will forget what God has done. When you get to Psalm 78, you see where the writer Asaph tells his people to remember what God has done, tell future generations what I have done so that they don't forget. I don't want them to forget what I have done. Maybe something for you as you think about your life, journaling, writing down how God has been faithful. Maybe there are certain monuments or markers that you get that just show where God has been faithful in the past. One of the ways my wife is so good at this is she writes these books of the stories of our children and how God has been faithful in the past. And so this, this book in particular is the story of how God brought our two sons home from Ethiopia. In fact, June 3rd is our gotcha day. And so this Wednesday is the 10-year anniversary of us bringing our two sons home. And God has been faithful. But you see, if we're not careful, we can forget we can forget what God has done in the past. And so when we face a trial now, we tend to forget what he did then. But you see, previous faithfulness proves God's faithfulness now. You can trust the Lord that whatever you're going through, he has been faithful, he is faithful, and he will be faithful. Do you find worry creeping up in your heart? Do you find these the sin of unbelief creeping in, saying there's no way God can fix this. It's broken. There's no way. We can't move forward through this. Look unto Jesus. He has proven himself faithful, and you can trust him even now. You see, remembering God's faithfulness in the past protects believers from spiritual amnesia. You'll forget. So, so here we see Jesus saying, guys, remember what I've done? Do you remember how I've provided for you? Fourth and finally, I want you to see Jesus' power to heal the blind. Jesus and his disciples, they get to Bethsaida, they get to the other side of the lake. A blind man was brought to Jesus. Jesus leads him by the hand. I love the tenderness of Jesus there. 
where he approaches the blind man, takes him by the hand. When Chris and I were in college, one of our good friends was blind. And so whenever we would go out to a restaurant or to a ball game or to somebody's house, we would lead him there. He, he would grab the back of my elbow and we would just walk and I was his guide. Here we see Jesus taking the blind man and so tenderly walks him away from town. Why? Why is Jesus taking him away from Bethsaida? Now remember, Jesus has pronounced judgment on Bethsaida because of their unbelief. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, which is another town. Woe to you, Bethsaida, because if the works that had been done here had been done in Tyre and Sidon, the works that I've displayed had been done with Gentiles, they would have repented in dust and ashes long ago. Jesus calls down judgment upon these towns because they have rejected him. He's proven his, 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 his ministry. He's proven it through miracles and yet they've rejected him. So he takes the blind man out of town because they've had their opportunity and he moves on. Here we see him heal the blind man in stages. First, he spits in his eyes, which usually what happens to those sitting in the front row, sorry, spits coming out. It's what I do. Get excited. A little passionate. Puts his hands on him. Still not fully healed. Okay, so is Jesus not on his A game that day? Why is he, this man not completely healed the first time? I think Jesus is up to something bigger. Jesus then places his hands upon his eyes and the man sees clearly. He's healed in stages. He can see in stages. So it is with the disciples. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's not just healing this man physically. He's showing the disciples what their kind of growth looks like. You guys are going to see gradually, progressively, slowly who I am. You see, this miracle was for the man's physical eyes and for the disciples' spiritual eyes. He's showing that it takes time. There's growth. There are stages. And so it is with you. When you first believed the gospel, you didn't fully understand. You didn't see Jesus with perfect clarity. And yet you, you saw a little bit. You understood. But Jesus here is showing his power by slowly, progressively showing this man more and more of himself. And he's showing the disciples, this is how you are as well. Slowly, I'm going to heal. Slowly, you're going to be able to see. But you see, you and I used to be like that. Before you knew Christ, you were spiritually blind. The God of this age had blinded our eyes. We couldn't see. But then someone shared the gospel with us. Someone told us about Jesus. Maybe it was a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. And you heard the good news of Jesus and what he did for you at the cross, how he died in your place and he made a way for you to be forgiven, a way for you to be redeemed. And that those who turn away from sin and trust in him by faith, we receive forgiveness and eternal life when we trust in Christ. We heard this good news and what happened? Our eyes were opened. We could finally see Jesus opened our eyes. That's what God has done for us in the gospel. And it's all of grace. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. It's complete free gift from God to you. This is why John Newton, he wrote those famous words. Amazing grace, how sweet this sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This morning, look unto Jesus. 
And I want you to see Jesus. In fact, this is the impact point. Look unto Jesus with all of your heart and you will see clearly forever. Maybe this morning you have not opened your eyes to Jesus yet. This morning I invite you right where you are. Would you open the eyes of your heart? Would you believe the gospel? Would you trust in Jesus? Would you say yes to him? Ask him and he will save you and he will rescue you. Believe the gospel. For those of us this morning, if you found that sin has been creeping into your heart and into your life, it's clouded your vision of Jesus. This morning, repent. Confess your sins to the Lord and say, God, I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to walk your path. And watch what the Holy Spirit will do. He will open your eyes to see. You will see Jesus clearly when you open your heart and your life to the gospel. Thank you.